And then I also want to talk about my piece in the end. Yes, yeah. of course. Yes. Um, well, actually, the the question I was going to ask you. So you're doing this solo piece. Yes. And um, I wanted to know how it's connected to what we've been talking about. Yeah. And then also, uh, if you're working on something for the future that is different or connects to the solo piece. So so. Yeah. The the what it was is that when I started writing, I did this play Reapers, and it, you know I've gotten certain plays, I got all these awards, and I got some nice grants, but then I started thinking, you know, I saw that I did the opera, and Clark Sopranowitz wrote the music, and it was fabulous music, and we had a couple of singers, we had some nice grants for it, so we had a couple of singers from the Lyric Opera, a mezzo and a and a coloratura. And I saw them and I went, oh my God, it's just, how do you do that? How are you so good at what you do? And I, they both said, no social life. <laughs> and I went, boy, that's at least what an actress should do. That's at least what a performer should do. We go back and really study and really become excellent. The next thing you do also is when you start a group is get, if you define something, get really good at it, really good at it. And so I started thinking about it, and then I started thinking, I'm 66, I need to study the stuff that I think, I don't, I think the word transcendent is, a, is the wrong word. It's our birthright. We as entities are born with this birthright, and we can look at it and just see it. You don't have to be literate, you don't have to be any race. In fact, I don't even think, I think dogs have got it, and even stones have got it. I know it's probably schizophrenia, but it, that's what it is. And I said, I want to do that, and a friend of mine, said, why don't you read Walt Whitman? He writes about that stuff. I had never remembered Walt Whitman. And so I read him, and I couldn't believe what he was talking about. Um, he was talking about that state of nirvana, but without gurus. He didn't meditate. He loafed. I remember that loaf with me on the grass. And went, what's that mean? Loaf. Oh, he's a transcendentalist, yeah. He was, but it's sort of like transcendent means somehow that it's outside the someplace. But it isn't. It isn't getting outside. Well, that they believe everything's connected. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, I don't see anything unconnected. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, right. In my body, if it was disconnected, I'd probably not live very right. long. Right, or you'd be sick. <laughs> I'd be sick, right? Um, I think that probably one of the things, and the show's been doing really well, and perhaps unconsciously, I think the society is beginning to reconnect to larger ideas. I think that ecology is connecting. Um, I think that it's becoming absolutely apparent that people have to do something about it whether they want to or not. The dinosaur juice is running out and what are we going to do now? And so uh, whether it's politically correct or unpolitically correct, in order to survive you have to deal with what's in front of you. Like, you know, your house is on fire, get a hose. And I think that basically that is understanding things in holistic manners. And Lord knows Whitman understood it completely that way. The difference between that and the other transcendentalist is that Whitman only went to school until he was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Thoreau and Emerson were Harvard grads. So I kind of like that aspect of Whitman. So I think that 
the aspect of that God. And then I started to study him more, and I realized he was a printer's apprentice. In fact, a, he was a printer. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. And and so he knew what he was writing, and he self-published that poem. He used four dots in the 1855 version rather than three, which is an ellipsis. So what does that mean? And he would say, basically, I wanted it to mean congruent images. In other words, all of these different images that he has, I want them to appear in your mind all at the same time. Well, that's called a montage. That's an amazing outlook. So no one ever written a poem quite like that in the history of writing. And here was this guy writing it, and uh, and then he was so, excuse the term, horny about it. People are like, oh, he's, he's sexually explicit, and he's gay. Well, definitely he was homosexual. No one knows really what he did or didn't do. And he said, no, he's bisexual, and probably maybe he was or wasn't. You know, it didn't really matter, because that poem wasn't about being homosexual. No, it was about that, being a person. That's right. I mean, like, getting really, really real with the world is a real turn-on, you know? And that's my experience when I talked about being pinned to the, you know, the hood of a car, stone-cold sober, because I had finally seen the distance to the stars. Going like, Oh, we are in outer space. Well, Whitman was writing that about, about that a long time. Then the other work, and also the part of it was like, you know, I began to study, like, how do you scansion Whitman's work? It's real easy to scansion Shakespeare's, even though Shakespeare will break down the scansion, like to be or not to be, that is the question. Huh? You know, because he's purposely breaking that down to make you Mm -hmm. become confounded by that question. Right. But Whitman is, I celebrate myself and what I assume you shall assume. Well, what rhythm is that? Well, it really is rhythm. There's spondy and, you know, uh, iambic and different kinds of different meters. So I decided after eight months of working on it, I found what I thought the poem would be in 40 minutes rather than two hours and 15, because I'd read it time and time again. So I spent a joyous eight months working probably seven days a week, I don't know if it's working, working with that poem, working with the ideas of that man, discovering his innate strange ability to work with consonants and assonance and alliteration. And he would just say, instead of that, I'll do this. And um, so finding that unifying factor of saying, you can truly rap that poem. You can slam it. He was slamming poetry, you know, smile of voluptuous cool breathed earth, earth of the slumbering and liquid trees, earth of departed sunset, earth of the mountains misty topped, earth of the vitreous pour of the full moon just tinged with blue. I mean, boom, bam, boom, you know. You know, and, and you, you suddenly realize that these, um, these, these, these techniques created a musicality in the poem that was not being exposed by just reading it. So then the next months, and I went through 14 months basically, of trying to work with, you know, what is the musicality inherent with a thing, first working it with just all of the metric feet, finding and looking up words that I had known, but I didn't realize what was the, what is it, eucalyptus or is it eucalyptus, right? So gradually beginning to break that down, I began to understand the nature of how Whitman was speaking his words and that they were incredibly 
incredibly vibrant. To touch my person to someone else's is about as much as I can stand. How many S's and Z's are there? How many electronic pulses are in that touch? And they're in the words. How did he do that? So I wanted to bring that out. So that's one of the things I, I started to do. That in the combining of saying, you know, we've been dumping on our own world and our, the country that we live in so much that we have such psychological garbage in our country. We can't even unite and recognize that we're supposed to run this country. And mm. Whitman was writing a poem when this country is only 79 years old and five years from Civil War where like 618,000 people would die. And it was a heck of a lot worse off than it is now. It was a lot more dangerous for this country. It was still arguing about, it was still had slavery for crying out loud. That had been left out because they couldn't deal with it because the southern states had human machines and they couldn't give it up. So, well, okay, let's still get it because we have to have a country because the British are going to take it. Well, the Civil War was the, the final part of the Declaration of Independence. And Whitman was right in between there. In fact, sometimes people say Whitman is the second constitution of the United States. So not only did he have that experimental buzz that there was in the 70s for me and the 60s, he had it back in the 1850s. And he was starting to go, this city, Manhattan, he calls it, is becoming a live, crazy town. And the Wild East was a lot wilder than the Wild West. So you get that feeling in there. And so I felt that, you know, in some ways the Bay Area is almost so progressive that it's almost a kind of Salt Lake City by the Bay, except that it has rules that are the flip side of the coin that are just as restrictive as the rules of the most fundamental Christian. In other words, there are so many words you cannot say. Mm. Well, Political once you start talking to a poet and saying they can't say those words, those are fighting words, whether they're coming from the left or the right. And we know that the left has never been quite so happy about art as it has been about propaganda. So I feel that Whitman is an ameliorative force that unites people. And so far, the audience is, I mean, I, I really do it in a way in which I'm, I'm there in front of the audience and I talk to them and, because I just don't want to be in the dressing room. I just want to meet them because then it becomes less formal. And then they have this at the Marsh. I love this. It's a different kind of a theater. They have telling what's going on at the Marsh. And it's kind of like a PTA meeting or something. <laughs> and they've got like a four-minute thing there. I just sit there and wait there. And then I go and I read my introduction. And the introduction is about, you know, America is very unpopular in 2007. But American wrote this poem. And we ought to get back to the fact that it's we're the ones. And everybody who lives in this country, they're Americans. That's what they are. Whitman never claimed. He said, anybody who lives in this country is an American. I don't care who it is. It's, that's what it is. Okay? There's nobody like, you know. But it wasn't. You know, there was no common language practically in the five corners. You know? So that's what I thought. Let's, let's just think about there's a few nice people that actually come back and reinforce the values that I think that people on the right and the people on the left could embrace. And I think that Whitman could do that. I mean, Whitman had his problems, but for 1855, he was pretty out there. You know, he was pretty out there in terms of the freedoms. But I don't think he'd ever want to be restrictive. 
he always said, no, you know, the wicked are just as well as invited as the, as the lovely, you know? 